Well, we're going to be looking about, um, in this passage, what we learn about Jesus, because we want our minds to be educated, don't we? But the purpose of obviously coming to church is not just education, that we'll learn more about our faith and learn more about Jesus, but actually the implications for us. So really, every time we're listening to a talk or a podcast or something, the question in our mind should be, so what? So what? So we're going to look at trying to grapple with the passage and understand what it is, and then we're going to ask the question, so what now? What difference for me? What, what are the implications for me? I have to say, um, I've loved looking at the first part this week as I've prepared it. I've loved studying this passage and grappling with it. Um, the implications for me, actually, I haven't loved. I've had a very challenging week looking at this and been having to do a lot of, um, have a lot of conversations with God about this <laughs> um, because it's deeply challenging. So... We're kicking off, and I haven't put the verses up on the screen because we're going to find them in our Bibles. So just about on every other pew, not pew, chair, there's a a Bible, and we're on page 1179 in the book of Philippians. Some of you might have already turned to that earlier in the reading. 1179, the book of Philippians, chapter 2. This is the fourth one in our series. We've had James and Andy preach on chapter 1 and Carol on the beginning bit of chapter 2 last week. And it's an amazing book. So we're looking at, we're kicking off with verse 6, which says Jesus was in very nature God. Or the actual literal translation into English says having the form of God, which means he literally was exactly like God. He had the form of God. And then in verse 7 it says, he took on the likeness of man, or being made in human likeness. And again, the literal translation into English says he um, took on the form, of a human form. So he had the form of God, and he took on the form of being a human, which means he literally was God, and he literally became like a human. And this is an amazing verse, again, in the New International Version. It says he made himself nothing, but a slightly more accurate translation is he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Jesus had to empty himself to become human in order to become human. So what did he empty himself of? Did he stop being God? Did he empty himself of being God? Well, he was fully God. He had all authority with God, full equality with the Father. He sat at the right hand of the Father in heaven, thousands and thousands of angels worshipping him and doing his bidding day and night. He lived in perfection, in beauty, surrounded by goodness and extraordinary love to the level we can only just glimpse at or imagine. So becoming a human, he didn't give up being God, but he emptied himself of all the privileges of being God. I don't know whether a few years ago, I don't think it's on the TV anymore, there was a program called Undercover Boss. Did any of you watch that? Where I quite enjoyed it, where somebody would take on a new company and become the sort of CEO of a huge chain of hotels or something, and then go undercover and start working um, as as the lowest of the low. So it might be this CEO of a multi-million pound um, 
chain. Actually, then there he was cleaning the toilets and being shown how to clean the loos and make the tea and do really mundane tasks. And people saying, oh, this new person, he's doing quite well, really. You know? And we knew all along that he was actually the boss. But the reason he was doing it was to find out what the conditions were like for what was it like to be one of his employees. And actually, at grassroots levels, fi- at grassroots level, find out what, what did people think of the company? Were there ways it could be improved? I quite enjoyed that. Well, Jesus becoming human was, you know, that's a very inadequate example. It's, it was nothing like that. I mean, maybe if you think of the queen giving up being the queen, so she's still royal blood and still the queen, but actually going to clean toilets um, for her whole life. Not just for a day to find out what it was like, but for her whole life. Maybe that's getting a little bit nearer. Um, Or maybe if you just love pigs so much, you just love pigs, absolutely love pigs, and you keep pigs, and you love them, and you feed them, and you hug them, and you call them names, and you think they're wonderful, and then think, I love these pigs so much, I want to actually live with them. I want to live with them, so I'm going to come right into their pigsty and live with them. And then it just isn't enough. I actually want to be a pig as well. Okay, these are silly examples, aren't they? Um, (laughs) Yes. Jesus did not, look at verse 6, Jesus, being a very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be, this is used to be his own advantage, or another translation says something to be grasped. Jesus, in his humility, emptied himself. Imagine what he gave up to become human. I mean, this is a bit of a, again, not exactly um, a very good illustration, but, you know, it's an illustration all the same. You know, can I fit this into this? No, obviously. What do I have to do to fit this into this? Now, this might be more appropriate for the next service if there are little ones around. What do I have to do? What do I have to do? You know what I have to do to let the air out, don't I? And here we go. Shrinking down, 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 down. Is it the same? Is it still a balloon? Still a balloon, isn't it? Can I fit it in here? This is what I did at home and it worked. Fit it in here. God reduced himself down. He shrunk himself down, not in terms of his actual identity, who he was, but in terms of emptying himself of all the privileges and the rights that he had being God. Now, even becoming human, if he'd come down to earth as a human king, that still would have been utterly downgrading and shocking. To come from heaven to being born in a palace and having human servants would still have been worse than us trying to live with pigs (laughs) in a pigsty. Um, Or the queen cleaning toilets. It would have been worse. But he didn't just become a human he, he was born into poverty. He chose poverty. He chose to be poor. And he chose, actually, the first few years of his life, he was a refugee. Not only was he become human, he downgraded himself to being human. He downgraded himself to the lowest of the low. And not only was he poor, but then, further, look at this, verse 7. By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He took the very nature of a servant, 
So he became human, he became poor, and he took on the role of a servant. This is our God who did this. Matthew 20 says, the son of 2028 says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And then look further on to verse 8. So he's become human, he's become poor, he's become a servant. Could it get any worse? Let's look at verse 8. There, um, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself even down lower. He went further, and he willingly obeyed the Father's plan of salvation, even though he knew one day it would lead to the most agonizing death. But despite all this, he did not stop being God for a moment. He was 100% God, but 100% man. Jesus emptied himself for you and me. He emptied himself for you and me. He said, for the joy set before him, he did that. What was the joy set before him that made him do all that? You and me. Look at the person next to you. Look at the person next to you. They were the joy. And the other side, they were the joy. You were the joy set before Jesus. That's why he did this. Now, that's one thing, what Jesus did. Now we get on to the painful part of the service, the sermon. Verse 5 in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You know, I saw really, really, you know how um, some newspapers always have little cartoon, a little sketch cartoon. I saw one once in a kind of Christian magazine, and it had someone studying the Bible, you know, with the Bible open and a pen, and their friend saying, oh, are you underlining your favorite bits? And the person was saying, no, I'm crossing out the bits I don't like. <laughs> so we love the fact Jesus did that for us. It's extraordinary. Verse 5, we might not like so much. This might be one we cross out. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was his mindset? What was his mindset? What was he thinking? If we're to have the same mindset, what was his mindset? Well, we're going to consider two aspects of his mindset. He gave up his rights... And he took on, he became a servant. He gave up his rights and he became a servant. One, number one, I've called this, what is giving up my rights? Giving up my rights. Galatians 2.20. Now, this is on page 1179. And I would keep a finger in Philippians, but just flick back to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. And if you've grown up doing scripture memory, this might be one of your verses. <laughs> Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Keep your finger in that because we will come to both, we look at both these passages again. I've been crucified with Mark Christ. What does that mean? When I became a Christian, Mary became crucified with Christ. The old Mary is dead. That's what the Bible says. The trouble is the old Mary keeps trying to crawl out of the grave and do things her way. That's the problem. The old Mary keeps forgetting she's dead. Now, baptism is a picture of this, dying 
to death, dying to your old self and coming up, which is why immersion, baptism by immersion, is such a powerful picture. You go down and the old, you leave the old and you come up, like going down into the grave and coming up. So if somebody is dead, what rights does that person have? Does that, does that person have any rights at all? A dead person doesn't have any rights. How offended can a dead person get? A dead person can't get offended. If I have been crucified with Christ, if the old Mary has died with Jesus, why do I still get offended by people? Why do I still want to teach that person a thing or two when they do something I don't like? Why do I, want, why do I get to judgmental about people and cross with them and, and you know... Have I really, truly been crucified with Christ? Paul called himself a slave of Christ. What rights did slaves have? They only had the rights their masters gave them. Paul has realized that he's been crucified with Christ, and now he's a love slave to Jesus in a way, that Jesus, everything Jesus gives him then is a privilege and a blessing. And he has this incredible heart of gratitude because he realized, I've died to my own rights. I don't have to look after all my own rights anymore. It's my right to this and it's my right to that. Did anyone tell you that when you became a Christian? We are so bad at actually leading people to Jesus. What we tend to do is say, Jesus died for you. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He made you. He loves you. He died for you. He wants a relationship with you. Receive Jesus. And what we often do is we say, receive Jesus and add him on to your life already. Everything you've got, you can keep, but just add Jesus in. And then when you have a problem, you can turn to him a bit like a genie. Help, I need a parking place. Help, I need money. Help, I'm having a problem. You know, we rub the Jesus lamp. Why do we lead people to Jesus like this? Why don't we say to people, This gift of God, this forgiveness, eternal life, is a free gift. It's free. Jesus won it for you. It is free, but it will cost you everything. Give everything. Because if you don't give everything, you will have a miserable life as a Christian. You'll be trying to do your own thing. But it will be at war with what the Holy Spirit wants to do through you. What rights does Jesus call us to give up? I told you this wasn't a nice talk, and I've had a horrible week. I've been repenting of things all week and feeling challenged about things all week. And I am preaching this to myself because I don't stand here saying I've got this sorted. I felt deeply, deeply challenged by this. So as I say this, I'm truly saying it to myself. I'm blown away by Jesus, but the implications for us are huge. Do we have our rights to our own finances? Do we have rights to success? Is it my right to have success? Is my reputation my right? You know, what rights does Jesus call us to give up? Does he call us to give up our rights to Western creature comforts, running water and toilets? Are those our rights? Is our time our right? You know, does Jesus cause, what's our nationality? Actually, if you're a Christian, there's only one nationality. It's the kingdom of heaven. Our rights to being treated nicely. Is it my right to be respected and to be treated nicely? What rights does a dead person have? If I have been crucified with Christ, everything will then be 
a blessing. Everything I receive, I will be able to live in extraordinary gratitude for everything instead of trying to look after my rights. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. <laughs> Matthew 16, 24 to 26. I'm just going to read you this. It's a really famous verse, passage. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Yet whoever loses their life for me will find it. When we're trying to hold on to our rights and put ourselves first, we're losing our lives. But when we lay our lives down for Jesus, then we actually find our lives. We find life. What rights might you be holding on to that Jesus is asking you to lay down? We're really talking about an attitude of heart where we're saying, this is my right. This is my right. So, we're called to have this mind, same mindset as Christ Jesus. The first mindset was he gave up his rights, didn't he? And the second, mind, the second thing is, what is a servant? Now, just imagine that you were walking along the road and the queen happened to be visiting Barnet. And just as you were getting quite close to the queen... She looked down and she saw some litter there right beside you and she said, Michelle, would you be so kind as to pick that litter up? What would you do? Wouldn't that be fine? Yes, of course, I'll pick it up straight away. But imagine you were walking down Barnet High Street and somebody who you didn't really like the look of very much and you didn't know just was walking past and said to you, pick that up. Would there be a difference in how you would respond? I think there would with me. <laughs> I heard someone once say, you'll know whether you have a servant heart when you're treated like one. You'll know whether you truly have a servant heart when you're treated like one. Ooh. It's utterly mind-blowing, isn't it? In verse 7, Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. Not only did he give up his divine rights as Lord of all creation and humble himself and become human and become poor, he came to serve us. He came to serve us. One of the most powerful examples from Jesus' life is recorded the night before he died when he gathered his disciples. They were eating the Passover meal together. It's called the Last Supper. And he's, Judas is on the verge of betraying him, isn't he? And Jesus breaks bread and he hands, you know, it's not like we have communion, which is a sort of token um, of, of what that was like. They actually were having a meal that have a big loaf of crusty bread and he broke bread and he handed a chunk to each person and actually giving food to somebody was this sign of friendship and serving them. Imagine what was going through his mind when he handed a chunk of bread to Judas. Imagine the moment their eyes met. Jesus knew what Judas was about to do. And Judas knew what he was about to do. And now we're going to actually, in our imagination, go to that scene. So I just encourage you to close your eyes and imagine you're there witnessing that last supper. And that Jesus, having fed his disciples then one by one, he gets up, he takes off his outer garment, and he wraps a towel around his waist and he kneels down one by one in front of each one. 
and he washes their feet. Now, we know Peter's reaction. Peter was horrified and didn't want that to happen, but we're not going to think about that. Just picture Jesus there kneeling. This was servants' work. They didn't have lovely clean feet in lovely clean socks and shoes. They wore sandals and walked along filthy, dusty, disgusting roads. Their feet were stinking and filthy, and Jesus was kneeling before each one of them. And now, picture him kneeling before Judas. Jesus knelt before Judas, knowing Judas was going to betray him. What was the look in Jesus' face as he washed Judas' feet? And how do you feel knowing that Jesus did that for Judas? And now this might be difficult, but picture Jesus kneeling in front of someone who's betrayed you. Somebody who's wronged you. Picture Jesus kneeling before them and washing their feet. What are your feelings? And finally, picture Jesus kneeling before you, him beckoning you to sit down, and him kneeling before you. And if you're not comfortable with the thought of him washing your feet, maybe picture him tying your shoelaces. What's the look on the Lord's face? And how does he feel about you? You can open your eyes now. I heard my daughter do that illustration um, recently, and and I, I just found it so moving and so challenging and so powerful. Jesus gave up his rights and became a servant, and he calls us to give up our rights and take on the nature of a servant. And we're called to serve those, not just that we like, but those who maybe from our perspective don't deserve it. What was Jesus' greatest, uh, his answer when somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. The two are totally connected. You know, it's easy to love Jesus, isn't it? It's easy to love him because of who he was and what he did for us. He's pure and holy and good and kind, majestic, and wonderful. But that next bit, love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus is calling us to is actually a supernatural thing. We can't actually do it ourselves. We can't summon up love. We can have love for people we like, don't we? can't we? But those that we find difficult, maybe those that wrong us, maybe those that have let us down. As much as I want to just love Jesus and pick and choose who I serve... <laughs> Our Father sees our hearts, doesn't he? He sees our hearts. And he sees what we do in secret. And he says, will you serve that person as if you were serving me? Will you do this for that person as if you were doing it for me? How many of you grew up with the song, J-O-Y, J-O-Y? 
I reckon there are a few here. Do you know it? I'm embarrassingly going to sing it to you now. It goes, J-O-Y, J-O-Y, surely this must mean Jesus first, yourself last, and others in between. Who had that at Sunday school? <laughs> Got to be a certain age. My mother sang that just literally two days before she died when my son asked her, Granny, what's, what's some good advice for someone who's just got married? And she said, Jesus first. I think I said this before. Jesus first, yourself last. Jesus first, yourself last. That's good marriage advice, and I need to follow it. Now this, Philippians 2, let's go back to this page. And I can't remember what page it was now. 1179, was it? Yeah. Um, this was actually our wedding reading. <laughs> and I'm not very good at this. Some people that I know just naturally seem to have more servant hearts than others. Do you find that? There are people I know, and I look out here, and I can see you, and you just seem to naturally have slightly more servant hearts than I do. And honestly, within our marriage, Andy is so much better at serving than I am. And actually, there aren't many vicars who serve as beautifully as Andy. He regularly does things behind the scenes that nobody knows. Nobody knows why all the Bibles are all spaced out on every other pew. Who does, yeah, who does that? A little magical elf called your vicar. And he's so much better at serving in our marriage than I am. How is Jesus asking you to serve? And who is Jesus asking you to serve? How is Jesus asking you to serve? And who is Jesus asking you to serve? I know the answer. Just ask him. Just ask him. I've got a whole load of ideas for how we can serve. And I'm going to throw them out here. And none of them might be actually what you're meant to do. Because the Lord will show you. Lord, how do you want me to serve and who do you want me to serve? But here are a few. You could babysit for someone. You could make someone a meal. You could invite someone for a meal who's not one of your friends. Someone who can't have your back. You could pay, you could buy someone a coffee. You could pay someone's rent. Ring someone. Write to someone. Give something away. You can offer to help paint someone's room or do some gardening for somebody or commit yourself to pray for someone regularly. You could volunteer for something just for free. You could stay on at the end of an event and help clear up instead of rushing off quickly and leaving it to other people. They're just some ideas. You know, and lots of us do those things here and there anyway. But honestly, let's ask the Holy Spirit every day, every day. And it's this question really, Lord, how can I serve you today? How can I best serve you today? Because sometimes if we're struggling to do something for someone or, or put someone else first, actually, if we remember it's Jesus we love first, and Jesus said, whatever you do for someone else, you do it for me. If you were struggling to actually go that extra mile, maybe for a family member, when we know we need to, let's ask Jesus' help. This is a supernatural love that the Lord wants to give us by his Spirit indwelling us. We can't actually muster this up ourselves, can we? I mean, what I'm preaching about, it's a tall bar, isn't it? It's a tall bar. And let's ask Jesus to show us the way he sees someone else, someone that we find difficult. 
how did he manage to love Judas? You know, I do think if Judas hadn't killed himself and had asked the Lord's forgiveness, the Lord would have forgiven him. Obviously, I don't know, but looking at what Jesus was like with everyone else. What's scary is we can serve, actually. We can do a lot of serving, but remain unchanged in our hearts. So we can do a lot of activity on the outside, but remain unchanged in our hearts. Jesus wants to do a deep work within our hearts. But finally, let's come into land at this amazing last couple of verses in the passage, verses 9, 10, and 11. Jesus did all of those things for us. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every knee will bow before Jesus. Some of us acknowledge he's king now, and we already bow the knee to him. But what a terrible day for those who haven't acknowledged that Jesus is Lord, and one day will be bowing before him. I'm just going to go back to to come into land on Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus came as a servant, ultimately, because he loves us. He loves us. He did what we couldn't do, and he paid that price for our sin. So just in a moment of quiet, as I finish now, we're going to ask ourselves two questions. What rights is Jesus asking me to give up? And who and how is Jesus asking me to serve? Let's take a moment now, just in quietness.